This episode is brought to you by Levitt Pavilion. This summer, check out one of my favorite outdoor concert venues in Denver, Levitt Pavilion. May through October, Levitt is offering ticketed and totally free all-ages concerts. I feel like we just go to anything that's free because it's like the kids can be at the show and it's people aren't weird about it and you can like bring a picnic. It's awesome. Some of the free shows this season include Iskali, Melvin Seals, War and Treaty, Sunny War, Chali Tuna, and more. To RSVP for free shows and buy tickets, plus see the full concert schedule, go to levittdenver.org. That's levittdenver.org. Today on CityCast Denver. Our city is growing. We felt it in the last decade, especially. And surprise, that means it's increasingly unaffordable to live here now. Still, many Denverites say they don't want affordable housing in their neighborhood, and many developers say it's just too hard to build. What are your thoughts on that? My, my PC thoughts or my real thoughts? Because my real thought is, that's fucking bullshit. <laughs> My friend Kimball Krangle is the Colorado Market President with Gorman & Company, a national affordable housing developer. She's on the show today to help break down the what's, how's, and why's of affordable housing in Denver. Today is Wednesday, November 17th, 2021. I'm Bree Davies, and this is CityCast Denver. Look, I am known as a person who criticizes developers, but here's the thing. This housing crisis is big and complicated, and to fix it, we need people who actually get housing built, like developers. A few years ago, I met a developer who I actually liked. It's recording. She didn't seem like a typical developer at all. Kimball was approachable, she cared about housing people, and she was willing to break things down about this super complicated industry. We just clicked. So I invited her on the show to demystify the idea that building affordable housing is hard. Well, Kimball Krangle, welcome to CityCast Denver. Oh, Bree, thanks so much for having me. I'm really excited, first of all, to see you and spend some time with you, but to be here for your podcast. Oh my gosh, thank you. I know I've been wanting to interview you for many years. So this is so great. Um, so we're going to talk about your expertise, which is affordable housing. And what I wanted to start with was something really basic, but seems kind of hard to explain sometimes, which is what is affordable housing? I love that question because I think unless we start there, a lot of folks maybe don't feel that the conversation pertains to them or impacts them in any way. Um, what I always like to do is ask people, uh, do you live in affordable housing? And I sometimes get a lot of blank stares. And then I say, well, my definition of affordable housing is housing that is affordable to you given your situation. So it doesn't matter what your income is or what your household situation is. You want housing to not dominate your monthly budget so that you have other funds available for things like gasoline if you have a car, auto repairs if needed, transportation, tickets, food, 
doctor, and then, you know, all the other stuff that goes into living month by month. And so what we try to say is you should be spending 30 to 40% of your total income every month on your housing. And if you're spending more than that, it would be considered unaffordable housing. Yes. I want to walk through an affordable housing development that you've built from the ground up. And I want to start with one that exists or that's in process right now that people in Denver could drive by or walk by right now and see. So if we could, if you could pick one in the city that you've worked on, um, where would be one you'd want to talk about? Oh my gosh, I could pick so many and I love them all for different reasons. But um, why don't we start with one that we built in 2015 and it is near Federal and Alameda in Denver. Oh my gosh, I I can see it from my house. <laughs> so how did that process start? How did that get built? That apartment complex is called Terraza del Sol and I think it's a beautiful complex. It's actually a mixed-use building and The way that this project started is actually in 2014, I had a conversation with then Councilman Paul Lopez for District 3, and he and I had met each other a couple years previous when I was working with Denver Housing Authority, and he was talking about the need for quality housing in his district because it was primarily single-family homes, and they needed a place as price points were starting to increase following the recession that folks could move to either move out of their parents' home or for folks that were aging in the community could have, you know, an elevator building that was easier access, for example. And so it started a search for me, literally, of just looking through property listings, and I found a piece of property for sale, And we made an offer on the land and we went under contract by it. And then then the real work really started in the sense of we needed to cobble together the funding to be able to afford this housing. Because by nature, we are capping our rents so that they are in line with what people make at a specific income range. That's the purpose of affordable housing to make sure the rents meet the needs of the people in that area in particular, that they can afford it. So you can build it and then someone can move into it. That's exactly right. How would you find funding? Where would money come from? Do you partner with other organizations or? We sure do. Um, One of the major funding mechanisms for building affordable housing is called the Low Income Housing Tax Credit, which is sometimes called LIHTC. And The LIHTC is a funding mechanism that was established in 1987, and it is a way to give investors like big banks, Wells Fargo, Citibank, Freddie Mac, um, U.S. Bank, you know, whoever it may be, Morgan Stanley, it gives those investors a dollar-for-dollar reduction in their federal taxes in exchange for providing money to build these apartment complexes. So it's a super niche, pretty complicated little industry that at the end of the day, what it does is it provides about half of the cost to build these projects. Say a building costs $20 million to build. Those tax credits 
generally speaking, will bring in about $10 million. There are a lot of things that go into that, but let's just make the math easy. So if if the LIHTC brings in $10 million, then I would go out and find other funding from other partners, the city that we're building in, the city of Denver, for example, um, the Division of Housing for the state of Colorado is also a big funder. So it is an indirect federal subsidy. And then we have state funding and local funding. Okay, so I'm going to pick on my mom because I always pick on her. But she lives in Wash Park, and I can guarantee that she cannot see an affordable housing development from her house like I can. Why is that? Why do we see affordable housing in neighborhoods like Barnum, but not necessarily in Wash Park? The reality that you're speaking to comes down to good old-fashioned nimbyism. <laughs> uh, not in my backyard. Um, if If I were looking for how I was going to deliver 60 or 100 units of affordable housing. Um, One, there aren't going to be as many large pieces of property in Wash Park, say, as there might be still in Westwood. Two, the price in Wash Park is going to be much higher than the price in Westwood because people want to be next to Wash Park itself as an amenity. It's closer to downtown, you know, whatever it may be. And obviously, the impacts of historic redlining play into that as well. And you have certain neighborhoods throughout cities that have not seen investment by way of everything from safety, roads, but then investments into parks, investment into trees. Mm. Um, And so you do find neighborhoods that the land value is less than that is absolutely the reflection of systemic racism and redlining that has occurred over decades. And if you look at maps and and look at price points, you can usually track it back to that. So that is one of the reasons that you will see affordable housing condensed in certain areas is that land is available, land is cheaper. Sure. So you brought up NIMBYism, the not in my backyard folks, which um, every community or every city has people that don't want affordable housing in their neighborhoods, which I find interesting because I think there's an affordable housing development being built on the other side of my block right now called Rhonda's Place, which I'm I'm super excited about because it means that more folks will be housed. But I, I have to say, not everybody who hears there's an affordable housing development in their neighborhood, it goes, I'm so excited about it. What are What are some of the pushbacks that you get or that you hear? Why do people not want affordable housing in their neighborhood? I mean, there there's the litany of excuses that we hear time and time again. More traffic. Those people, you know, what are those people going to do? I'm like, oh, you mean like, like all of us people because we're all in the same boat? I mean, we're all human beings at the end of the day. And I think a lot of time nimbyism comes from the fear of the unknown, And so then it's easier to glob onto something like traffic concerns than it is to say, like, I don't know how it's going to be to have an apartment complex in my backyard. And can you tell me the types of people that are going to live there and how it's going to integrate into my community? Like, that would be a far better conversation. So it's, it's my job as a developer to take the time to listen to the concerns even if there are a million one-on-one conversations to really have the conversations and help um, take away groupthink, take away fear, and instead bring in information, facts, 
um, and let folks be a part of the process. Yeah, I think you make such a great point. It's really those, and I'm sure you've had hundreds of one-on-one conversations with folks just trying to explain that very thing. Teachers are moving in. People who work for the trash service are moving in. Families are moving in. Um, You know, your grandma, like every kind of person wants the same things that you want in the neighborhood, you know? That's exactly right. And I'm just trying to break through all of these arguments I hear against affordable housing. And one of them is it's hard to build in Denver. Do you feel like Denver is any different um, than, say, I don't know, an Austin or a Minneapolis or, you know, um, Oakland? Is it harder here? So I don't have the knowledge of building in those other places. I build throughout the state of Colorado, so I can reference Denver versus other places in Colorado. And I would say Denver is still by and far one of the easier locations to develop than many, many other places. It's very hard to develop in Boulder. It's very Mm. expensive to develop in Aurora. It's very expensive to develop in the mountains. And then when you go to the suburbs that have historically been very NIMBY, and they do that through zoning code and design code sometimes, you know, there will be design elements required in other jurisdictions that we don't have in Denver. And those design elements may be 70% of your building has to be brick, for example. And brick is expensive. Now, you know, as we enter into this decade more fully, we're going to see some jurisdictions that have very stringent climate goals, which we can all say are good things for the world, but those will add tremendous cost to projects. And so quite honestly, Denver doesn't have a lot of those same characteristics that some of these other jurisdictions would have. And because of that, it's, in my opinion, far easier to develop in Denver and cheaper to develop in Denver than it is in some of the suburban rings and in the mountain areas. You heard it here first. <laughs> you can build affordable housing in Denver. <laughs> oh, it's so possible. It's so doable. <laughs> it's doable. And the city, I mean, the city has come a long ways in the last 10 years and has become a huge partner and guider of affordable housing. And, you know, say what you want about politics in general, but I will say Denver has stepped up to the plate and has passed some really important funding bond initiatives to help develop affordable housing, and it is working. We have been adding lots of units into the city of Denver. It's not enough, but Denver has done a good job creating funding mechanisms to help build affordable housing by providing local funding to help bridge the financing gaps that occur when you're building these things. Kimball, thank you so much. Thanks, Bree. By the way, the city of Denver is working on ways to expand affordable housing. There's a draft plan online right now, and the city wants feedback on it. I'm not going to lie to you. The document is long, complicated, and confusing as hell, of course. But I asked Kimball what she thinks would be most useful for the average Denverite to do. Even if you don't understand the expanding housing affordability document, the feedback that you can provide to the city that will be very meaningful is, I am in favor of adding more affordable housing, however that occurs. 
I'll put a link to the city's draft plan proposal in the show notes. And here's what else is happening in Denver today. The changes to Casa Bonita have already begun. Looks like the South Park Bros have tapped three-time James Beard Award nominee Dana Rodriguez to be CB's new executive chef. According to 5280, the master chef plans to, quote, change nothing and improve everything, which should give longstanding Casa Bonita fans like myself some relief. However, they are apparently still working out the details when it comes to the cafeteria line experience, one thing I think many of us cherish about the place. But Rodriguez says she's working on balancing efficiency with quality. As long as the fun and relative affordability stays, I think we can all take a collective deep breath. The Colorado Department of Public Health and Environment is now requiring that anyone attending an unseated event of more than 500 people must show proof of vaccination to get in. The key word here is unseated because churches are exempt from the order. How 500 people in a room being seated is somehow safer than unseated is something. Anyway, if you want to go to a concert or, you know, just be out in the world, get vaccinated. That's all for today here on CityCast Denver. If you enjoyed the show, why not take a minute to tell a friend about us, rate the show wherever you get your podcasts, and subscribe to our morning newsletter. We'll be back tomorrow morning with more news from around the city. Bye-bye. Um, I really, I want to make the South Park guys listen to our interview with Dave Thomas because he explains why the line is like crucial. <laughs> the, the cafeteria line is like crucial to it working. Oof. <laughs>